back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We are about to launch into our Bible study time, which is going to be amazing. Before we do, we need to have a bit of a discussion about protein because, well, we've uh-huh. had some, we've had a text message come in about protein. We've also had some people that have been asked to uh, producer shells, uh, what was it, recipe? It was leek and something or other. Celery, uh, celery and leek. And cannellini beans, yes. Okay, so I'm getting the, the pie. Cur- the, it's just a good pie. Sounds so good. It's just oh. a good pie. It's just a, an amazing pie. So if you would like the recipe, it is so ridiculously, ridiculously delicious, then, uh, of course, it's a savoury pie. Um, shoot us a text message on 0491-064-669, and the recipe will be coming to you for free. Down, though, uh-huh. we have a text message that has come through. So let's go to text messages and see what we've got here um, in relationship to protein. It says, uh, so this message says, wherever I have a discussion about proteins with people, oops, dropped the phone, um, they often mention that we need to grow stronger and bigger. I remind them that some of the strongest and biggest Animals or creatures are actually vegetarian, consider the hippo. Or mm. gorillas, who are four to nine times stronger than men and almost mm. entirely vegetarian. The giraffe is pretty huge. Um, the elephant, I'll, I'll throw the elephant in there, it wasn't listed here. Uh, the rhino, these are, these are big animals. Mm. They're powerful. These, these are big African animals. Mm. They are massive, and they're just living off of plants. vegetarian plants. Grass. Um, <laughs> whales are mentioned here. Now, a lot of whales eat plankton, mm-hmm. and plankton is kind of like the smallest food that there is and is largely plant-based. Mm-hmm. There is, amongst plankton, there is, uh, you know, microorganisms that are not plant-based that are like kind of like little critters. Mm-hmm. Sea bugs or something, or I don't know what you'd call them, but um, <laughs> it is largely plant-based. So your blue whale and stuff like that, which is the largest creature on Earth, is largely vegetarian. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so it makes the point here. You can think of others. Um, he says, they see my point very quickly. You don't <laughs> need to be eating dead animals to be able to grow large and strong. Mm. What's been interesting is to watch the... Um, the weightlifting, the bodybuilding scene over the last 30 years and see the number of people within that uh, scene that have been, you know, moving over to a plant-based diet. I remember when I was in college back in 1992, had a good friend um, who was actually in my wedding who was a bodybuilder and was totally vegan, totally vegan bodybuilder. Oh, wow. And back then that was kind of cutting edge. These days it's common as dirt. Yeah, well, it's definitely becoming more common. Not only yes. because, not only because it's like people are finding the, just the immediate like performance benefits, but also the health benefits. Um, considering like how much those people need to eat. Um, yes. and if it's all hard, like this crazy, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, we'll get stuck into the steaks because, you know, we'll have this crazy protein and then they have terrible health repercussions from it and they end up, you know, unfortunately, you know, either deathly sick or dying at like an incredibly young age um 
because of yeah the negative health side effects that comes with consuming such a high amount of meat. And what I find amongst bodybuilders is that they are, you know, a, a segment of society that does tend to be hyper aware of the health of their body and what their body is doing and how their body functions and they mm. study into, you know, all of the... It's a, it's a great science to, yeah. to look into and I think it's a great thing to get involved in um, because, you know, any kind of exercise is, <laughs> is good. But the what one of the reasons why a lot of bodybuilders are going over to plant-based protein is because, as Camilla pointed out, your plant-based protein is so much better for you and so much more powerful than your mm. flesh-based protein. It's also like, and and this is just from from my brief time as an athlete when I was younger. I can say for a fact that um, food that's easily digested, uh, like, has a huge um, well, the digestibility and the time that it takes to digest food has a huge impact on your training program. Like to the point where when I'd go out running in the morning, I couldn't eat before it because if I was digesting any kind of food while I was running, it would not only take power away from my body, but then I'd be liable to getting stitches and whatnot. Um, but yeah, if you can get good protein from food that's easier to digest because meat is truly the most difficult thing to digest. Um, if you can get good protein from something that's easier to digest, it's a way better option than something that may marginally have a little bit more protein in in a lot of cases not but it's way harder to digest because it just throws your program completely off because these are people who are training like not you know they're not just smashing it out in the gym for like an an hour and a half and then dipping like this is their life like they're in the gym every day um just you know they're they're on these like you're saying they're incredibly health conscious and a big part of that uh being incredibly health conscious is that they cut constantly listening to their body they you know they know they can feel when they're in you know an optimum state um versus when they're not and they need to to be it's it's better to be in that state all the time which is easily attainable when you're eating foods that aren't just wrecking you after after eating them so this is one of the questions that goes through my mind you know you were a professional motorbike racer back in the day and you know competing at at high levels overseas and so forth Mm -hmm. um how much did it affect your performance if you went out on the track with just like what feel, felt like a, a lump of lead sitting in your stomach trying to digest. Oh, it's, it's massive. This is the thing is that like when I, cause I, I mean, to, to, to work a butt in for a second, because yeah. often, you know, you look at motorbike racing, it's like, well, you do your sport sitting down. <laughs> this is yeah, a yeah. sedentary sport. Yeah, you classic. don't need to be fit. <laughs> classic, you just need classic. to be lightweight. It's, it's essentially like, cause people are like, Oh, you know, I drive a car. I've ridden a a motorbike like and it's like it's the difference essentially between walking and running like anyone can walk but to run it's the same motion but so much more difficult and in that motorcycle racing state you know when you've got a between a 100 and 160 kilo bike beneath you that is massively powerful and you're trying to not only yeah you're like leaning it you've got to keep it on the track corner, and stay on, it on it at the, the track, same time staying on it fighting the forces around you staying incredibly like it's essentially like playing a video game that is very very stressful um like it takes a lot of bodily stress like that's why you need to be so fit but you need to have such a high amount of concentration all those kinds of things i could go on i I don't have a personal vendetta (laughs) i don't have a vendetta against people who like motorbike riders are lazy i just i don't care i just just know i'm just trying to wind you up but um like yeah it's it's huge um i remember i like 
uh, one day I'd just come back from the Philippines and I had gotten just like a cold um, that then developed into a proper sickness. But at the time I was feeling just the, just the effects of like drowsiness. So this is when you're racing in Spain. Yeah. This is when I was racing in Spain. And I remember, yeah, like going to the track with a cold and just kind of riding the day off. Like I was going as hard as I could. Like I was pushing as hard as I possibly could. Um, but I was like, I was sitting about a second off the times that I was supposed to be doing. And I remember just riding off the day and being like, well, how can I possibly, if I'm not in the best place, you know, physically, how could I possibly reach, um, you know, reach a, a PB, you know, how could I be setting, you know, top of the top of the timesheet laps? Um, and that, like, I, I bring that example up, just relating back to food, because it was like the, just the, the small inconvenience of like a minor cold, um, throat threw me off so much but then like even yeah just e like i was very strict with my diet what i ate of a morning what i ate of at lunchtime because you could feel a hundred percent that's the thing when you get into this athlete state and i probably in my whole life i've only spent about like even though you know i was racing when i was younger and any everything i would say about one for one and a half years i was like i would say that's when i was a pure athlete when i was like 16 17 and you just feel everything your body you're so in tune you're like every little change you ate a little bit too much you didn't eat enough you can feel it because what you ate pushing and how you exercised had a direct effect on your lap times immediately as well not just like in a quasi sense but immediately amazing stuff you're listening to faith fm positively different radio Okay, so uh, another text message has come through about uh, on this um, subject of protein and what we eat. Um, somebody has mentioned that the animals that we mentioned, uh, you know, say, for instance, giraffes and elephants, you know, gorillas and so forth. Well, gorillas, you know, almost 100% vegetarian, but, you know, nine times stronger than a human being and so forth. Uh, it's come through that these animals were created to be vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Now, let me point out the obvious here. Human beings were created to be vegetarian. (laughs) We have a vegetarian jaw. We have a vegetarian teeth. We have a vegetarian digestive tract. We are born with uh, the right enzymes within our body to be able to digest vegetarian food. And it takes considerable adaptation by our body to actually be able to digest, effectively digest uh, meat-based products. Mm -hmm. Now, so, you know, human beings were also created to be vegetarian. And, of course, we know that, hey, when we get to heaven, everyone's going to be vegetarian Mm. because there's going to be no death. Yeah. It amazes me. It amazes me how shocked people, some people are when I say, yeah, in heaven, everyone's going to be vegetarian. They're like, what? What? Why? How can that be possible? And I'm like, it's kind of obvious. There's no death up there. (laughs) There's no death. So why not start getting ready for heaven right now? We uh, highly promote a vegetarian lifestyle here on Faith FM as being the best for your health. Mm. All right, we got sidetracked. Uh, we need to get into our <laughs> Bible study. Isaiah chapter 59 is where we are up to, and we're going to start reading in verse 12. So let's read verse 12 to 15 there for us, please, Lawson. Sure. Uh, Isaiah chapter Sorry, 59. 59, verse 15 to 21. 15 to 21. The I had Bible- the right numbers there, just in the wrong order. <laughs> All right. The Bible says this. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked and was dis 
displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor. And he placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He will pay them back even to the ends of the earth. In the West, people will respect the name of the Lord. In the East, they will glorify him. For he will come like a raging flood tide driven by the breath of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of the children of your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. Okay, this is a pretty full-on passage yeah, right there. epic. This is, this is God speaking in all his strength, all his power, all his love, mm-hmm. all of his grace, all of it combined together, all of his judgment, all of his mercy. It's all there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. This is one of those passages that is really, really complete, particularly when it comes to the concept of sin. Yes. So we need to put this passage now into the context of what we were reading yesterday, where the Bible yes. says, your sins have separated between you and your God. Mm. And this is God, this is Isaiah's message to God's people at this particular time. It's his message to us now. And he's saying, okay, so if you go back to uh, uh, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. The implied question here, of course, is the implied, there's, a, there's an implication that the people are asking the question, why doesn't God hear us? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he listen to us? Why doesn't he save us? Why is God doing nothing? Mm. And Isaiah is saying, well, there's no problem with God. Mm. He continues on, he says, but your sins have separated between you and your God, and your iniquities have hid his face from you so that he will not hear. Which outlines a very important principle. Sin and God are two things that are mutually exclusive. Yes. When Mm. God comes into the presence of sin, sin is consumed, and if sin is on us, then it means that we are consumed. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this is why we have the plan of salvation. This is why Jesus came and died. This is why Jesus has provided us with mercy and grace is so that we are not consumed. Without the blood of Christ, every sinner would be consumed Mm. because it would be God's only way of being able to deal with the virus of sin. Yeah, I I love this passage. Like this is um as as I'm reading it, I'm just feeling the the weight of it in the sense that this was written hundreds of years before Christ. Um, this was written before the captivity in Jerusalem. Um, this was written as you know the the children of Israel they're kind of waning in their faith, going through a succession of bad kings. Um, but like this is pointing forward to their ultimate solution. Like it, like it says, um, they're they're crying out to the Lord and not receiving. Um, they're not receiving a solution yeah this is pointing forward this is giving an answer to i love it. it's not only their problems but to the problems of the whole world uh, as it says that um i read here i'm just trying to find this verse where it says that those of the east will uplift him and and so will you um it's just powerful like 
this this solution that God is giving, as you were saying, he's saying all his strength, all his might, isn't isn't some localized, uh, you know, talking about the Messiah as not as some some localized guy who's going to just you know like a like a Jehu, for example, you know, if you remember the story of you've got Ahab and Jezebel, and then Jehu rocks up and liberates the people from this terrible king. No, this isn't Jehu. No, this is Christ. This is the Savior of the world who is redeeming them from the ultimate enemy. Their sins, absolutely, it's absolutely powerful, and it's and it's just one of those. It's a power statement, basically. What mm. it is, it's, it's God just um, coming in and saying, "Okay, I have the solution for this. I can fix this problem. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to stress over it because it will be solved right here." Mm. Uh, let's let's spend a little bit of time just working our way through these verses uh, one at a time. Now let's start in verse fifteen. It says, "Yes, truth fails." And he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. Well, wow. Just stop there for a moment and just think about the world in which we live right now. Mm. Truth fails and he that does not want to have anything to do with evil has a target painted on his back. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing what the Bible says right here. Yes. But my question is this. Is this a reality? So if you look at a story that we didn't have time to cover this morning, but, you know, just yesterday the Vatican released a statement saying that they would not bless same-sex unions, which is a pretty powerful statement right there. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, this is because in the United States and in the EU there have been a number of priests that have been blessing same-sex unions. So not marriages, not this is not same-sex marriages, same-sex unions. So this is where a same-sex couple form a union, uh, a legal union, which is something that uh, Pope Francis has actually pushed forward, that they have legal protection uh, from a legal union. And they come to the church and we say, well, we want you to say a blessing over this. And the Vatican's come out, two-page document. Um, they have um, translated into seven languages, spread it worldwide, and said, no, we will never bless a same-sex union. Mm. And the reason that they say that is because, well, the Bible says that, you know, we, 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 we love, we respect, we accept um, same-sex uh, couples and so forth into our fellowship, but we do not condone or endorse their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That's a biblical approach. Yes. And it's good to see the Vatican take a biblical approach on this perspective. Uh, however, the question that goes through my mind immediately is, okay, so the Vatican steps out, takes a biblical approach on something, a truth-based approach. Do they now have a target painted on their back? Are they now setting themselves up to become prey mm. in our world? And I would say the answer is yes. Yeah, 100%. I'm, oh, dude, I just want to get Twitter up right now and just like, and just see the responses. Uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've exposed myself a little bit lately to, because, because I think it fascinates me. Um, this idea of, uh, I don't want to get too much into this, but just like, just the idea of cancel culture and, and, um, the way that, uh, people, you know, in an, in a very abstract place like Twitter, they get together communally to shut down something that they disagree with. And it's like, you, if you take any step like that, you're gone. Like, it doesn't matter what context you're in. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's a Christian organization, if it's like, uh, you see it a lot like happen, um, with celebrities and people in music and stuff where, dude, anything gets said and, and then, and it's just over. They just, yep. they're just out to ruin their life. It's like, you know, oh, well, we disagree. 
And so, so now we're going to put you out of work. We're going to disgrace your name. We're going to run you through the dirt. Um, and yeah, you're cancelled. It's over. So, man, of course, this is the world we live in. So let, let me read this verse again. Truth fails, and he that departs makes himself a prey. He that departs from evil makes himself a prey. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Yes. All right, so text message came in during the uh, during the song break. It's interesting about the statement of the Vatican not blessing same-sex marriage considering the Jesuits have been pushing it behind the scenes for decades. Uh, the trap is about to be sprung. The pendulum is moving back to the biblical option. Mm. Interesting observation. And, you know, we were just talking about, you know, what you've basically got here in Isaiah 51, 59 and verse 15. It is a description of cancel culture. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where the moment that you stand up for truth, a target is p- placed on your back, and Twitter and Facebook are going to come in and just kind of smash you in a very toxic environment. Yeah, it's essentially like these social media platforms just often they they give free reign for legal spam, essentially legal spam to just clog their clog the airways with um, negative. You know, negative stuff. Negative, libelous statements. Yeah, and it's like... truths. You know, and you see this happen to, like, particularly, like, for example, a company like YouTube will go through... I remember a couple years ago, it went through essentially a false scandal... Um, and it was getting cancelled on Twitter. You know, cancel culture was going full storm on Twitter. Everyone was just jumping on this all over the internet on something that wasn't even true. And then all of a sudden, like their partnership with McDonald's gets dropped, their partnership with Sydney, uh, uh, with Disney gets dropped, their partnership with like they lose all their sponsorship and everything because it's like, oh man, there's just such a high volume of it. We just don't want anything to do with it. And so it's like es- essentially. Yeah, it's just a platform for spam and bullying and hurting people. It's and and that's what we're. Wonder how long it's going to be before society realizes that you can actually kind of ignore and move on and yes, get past yes, all of please, this cancel stuff. Please, oh my goodness, we need this. We need anyway, people to realize. Anyway, anyways, that was our that was our passage here. We uh, we read what we covered so far, half a verse. Uh, let's <laughs> let's cover some more. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no judgment. Um, and once again, uh, text messages coming through hot and fast here in Nazi Germany. Not only the Jews were killed, but many homosexuals. Mm. Um, and so this was, yeah, one of the, one of the people groups that, uh, Nazi Germany, Germany went after, um, including gypsies and Jehovah's Witnesses as well mm. in an effort to somehow in, in inverted commas, purify the nation. Mm. Um, and what a horrific, horrific outcome that was. Okay, uh, where are we going? There was no judgment. That's right. There's no judgment. There's no truth. Truth has truth has disappeared, and there's no judgment in existence mm-hmm. anymore because judgment has become insanity. Sixteen. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness sustained him. Who is the Bible talking about here in verse sixteen? This is a, this is a prophecy of Christ. This is a prophecy of Christ. So mm-hmm. Jesus looks down to this earth. He sees that there is no judgment. Mm-hmm. There, there is lots of sin. Anybody who stands for righteousness has a target pla- mm-hmm. painted on his back and uh, that there is no solution to this mm-hmm. because if there is no intercessor, then all of mankind is lost. Yes. And this goes back to what we were t- talking about earlier about, you know, God's view of sin. Like, this is the ultimate problem. You That's know, right. it's it's like... There are so many more factors that, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, stances on different issues, left and right, 
culture, geography, all these things. But no, the ultimate problem that causes these terrible divides is sin. That's right. hundred percent. Absolutely. It's, and it's like, yeah, again, God isn't giving them a, a, a conqueror that can, um, you know, fix their immediate, uh, in Jerusalem's case, it was their immediate, you know, uh, geopolitical problems. No, he's giving them a solution to everything. Okay, so why does God have such a problem with sin? This is something we need to look into because in Romans 3, 21, mm-hmm. 24, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, all of sin comes short of the glory of God, etc., etc., etc. You've got all of that right there. Why does God have such a problem with sin? I mean, let's face it, there are people in the world who have very different opinions from me, have lived yes. very different lifestyles, and they do lots of things that I don't like, but I don't go and kill them. <laughs> yeah, right? wow. Why couldn't God just let this earth just do its own thing? Just like, okay, earth, planet earth, you just sit over there by yourself, you're a speck of dust uh, somewhere in the universe. We don't really care about you. Mm-hmm. You just do your own thing. If you prefer to have a, an environment of sin, then go ahead and have it. What brother it is of mine? Why should God come down and just kill everyone who is a sinner? Why can't he just live and let live? Mm. I, had a, I had a secular person pose this question to me one time. I think sin is essentially like, um, probably if you, ha- if you have any knowledge of the Cold War, you've probably heard of the term, um, mutually, what is it? Mutually, um, mutually, ex- mutually inclusive, uh, inclusive, uh, mutually assured destruction. Assured destruction. This is how sin functions is that it kills. It's, yes. it essentially kills like, and it kills painfully. Yes. It doesn't, this is not, this is not like a, uh, you know, a nice, medical kind of uh, solution to death. Mm. This is horrific. And I feel like we've already been given in the Bible an example of ultimate sin being free reign and what that led to. I I think of the antediluvian world where you have a small group of people who are living completely in sin. And it wasn't like God, it wasn't that God wasn't intervening or anything, um, but it was just, there was this, this era of free reign to see like, okay, let's see what happens when the model of sin takes over humanity. And it ultimately led to... When the thoughts of men's hearts are only Evil, evil continually. All the time. Yeah. It, it, no righteousness it, at all. None. Zero. Zip. It led to a, a situation where you've got just everything was falling apart. The world was falling apart. Men were killing each other. It was extinction. It's actually, oh, I saw a, I was, I watched a video recently, like, you know, people were considering like, oh, you know, like philosophically, like, you know, in there should be life outside of earth and we should be able to view it like if if we have life on life on earth here then surely there should be life outside of earth if the universe is so big um and they're like but why can't we see any of it and there's what's called the filter solution which is that life ultimately destroys itself now this is a this is a model that is taken out of the context of you know christianity out of the context of god where they just view life as it is around us which is a life filled with sin and it ultimately leads to death that's right. Um, and it leads to extinction. Look how many species our planet used to have and look how few yeah. it has now. Species, not only species, cultures, like yes. groups of people who were either destroyed or destroyed themselves. Like how many actual or cultural genocides have taken place and cultures and languages and people groups that mm-hmm. have just vanished off the face of the earth this, in the last 4,000 years. The thing is, is that sin is ultimately a choice. It's putting something into action. But the actions that are led by sin are ultimately destructive like it's dis it's disharmonious with god in the sense that it just kills like there is no middle ground 
that, that's it. Sin leads to death. Heavy stuff this morning, but we will uh, continue with that Bible study tomorrow. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And coming through on the text message, someone wanted to comment, if God let us go, there would be no one alive today. Sin is a killer. Mm. Cancer. With Mm. no survival rate, which is Satan's plan, there actually would be no reason to live. Wow. But for the grace of God, that is powerful. humanity would not exist. Mm. Shows the depths of God's love for us. However, it is now time for... Question of the Day. Classic. All right. Question of the Day. A Christian who was brought up in the faith, constantly tempted and persecuted, and has to adhere to a lifetime of prayer, repentance, and obedience, is this disciple held to a higher accountability by God um, to a more mature and remain in the faith without apostatizing and forfeiting their relationship, compared to the thief who repented and was promised salvation simply simply by saying, Jesus, remember me uh, in your kingdom? Uh, The question was asked by Darren. Okay, so it's a great question. There are a couple of things there that disturb me about the question. Mm-hmm. And it's probably, you know, just the way it was written rather than the way it comes across. But there's a couple of things in the question that sort of, I guess they make the hair stand up on the back of my neck a little bit. Um, and so let me just highlight something here. Um, and this is no reflection on the writer of the question. This is just, you know, the way it, it's come across Um this time. But it talks about a person who is a Christian and tempted and persecuted and has to adhere to a lifetime of prayer, repentance and obedience. That phrase there, it makes it sound like the life of a Christian is burdensome. Mm. Now, we live in a world of sin. We live in a world where bad things are going to go wrong. And as a result of that, yes, Christians are going to be tempted, persecuted and face some bad things. However, adhering to a lifetime of prayer and repentance obedience, for me, is a privilege and a joy. Mm. It's not something that I have to do. It's something that I desperately want to do because I love doing it. This is the greatest freedom that I have ever experienced, and so why would I go back to anything else? It kind of feels like there's this implication coming through in the question that, you know, the thief kind of got it easy because he didn't have to do any of these things. He got to live a life of sin and then be saved at the last minute. Do you kind of get that feeling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I don't think the questioner is posing it that way. It's just the way it comes across. And because it comes across that way, I want to address it. The thief had a horrific life. And the reason I know that he had a horrific life is because I know what it is like to live in sin. Mm. And sin is a horrible, terrible tyrant. I would never choose to live a life of sin uh, in any kind of universe you know, even if salvation, eternal salvation was something that didn't exist, I would still choose to live a Christian life because it is the best way to live your life. Mm. As simple as that. Um, I would still live a life of prayer and repentance and obedience because that's the just, it's just the greatest way to live a life. Uh, so the question then comes down to, is there a higher level of responsibility? The Bible says that God turns a blind eye 
to the times of our ignorance. So those things that we are unaware of, we are not held accountable for. And, uh, of course, going right along with that, it's not just what we know, but it is what God has given us the opportunity to know. So you can't just say, well, I'm never going to read my Bible because if I read my Bible, I'm going to be accountable for what's in the Bible. No, God's given you a Bible, so you're accountable for what's in the Bible. Um, and that should be our greatest joy is to actually read the Bible and find out how we can best please God. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.